HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Over the past decade, hummus has exploded in popularity in the U.S., but compared to the many brands that now line shelves at every supermarket, Little Sesame is doing things differently. The Washington, D.C. fast-casual restaurant, which now also sells at Whole Foods and other stores in the region, gets all of its chickpeas from a single Montana farmer who is pushing the envelope on climate-friendly farming with his organic, regenerative practices. My guests today are Nick Wiseman, co-founder of Little Sesame, and Casey Bailey, regenerative farmer. And we're going to talk about their unique partnership, how chickpeas are grown, and why they're a particularly beneficial crop in terms of climate impact. All right, Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nick, welcome. Good to be here. So before we get into the relationship between um, Little Sesame and um, your farm, Casey, I think we need to just kind of establish a little bit of background. So um, Nick, can you start us off with just, um, for listeners who are not in D.C. especially, can you talk a little bit about what Little Sesame is and and why you started it? Yeah, totally. So we started Little Sesame as a pop-up back in 2016. Um, and sort of always at the center of what we did was hummus. Um, you know, we knew that there was sort of cultures around the world that ate hummus every day um, in a very different way than like most Americans experienced hummus here, which was sort of like, as a snack. Um, And so we really wanted to like move hummus to the center of the table. And we thought the best way to do that was like through this restaurant experience. And so we started by opening um, a small, you know, restaurant in a 500 square foot basement. And uh, people were really excited about this. And, you know, we've since grown, we've opened up shops, 
Um, and sort of as we've grown, we've really leaned into, um, you know, into hummus at, at the centerpiece of what we do. And obviously, as the past few years has sort of brought a lot of changes to the world, uh, so to it as a, to our business. And we've really leaned into into the product and um, getting our product to people through grocery stores. So now, you know, a big centerpiece of our business is is hummus and grocery. And, um, you know, as we grow, that's sort of where we're leaning. Got it. Okay. So you're making hummus in Washington, D.C. And Casey, you're out there farming in Montana. Um, how long have you been farming? What does your farm look like? Well, I guess I've been farming um, on my own accord. I'm waking up every morning and saying this is what I want to do with my life since about oh, 2008. Uh, but I grew up on the farm um, that I am sitting on right now. So I think a story about that, I, when I was in fifth grade, um, I ran a combine full-time for my father, and the crop was really good. So we had to um, ask for some more help. And one of the truck drivers ended up being my, actually my fifth grade teacher to be. So my fourth grade summer between fourth and fifth grade, um, I was the boss to my fifth grade teacher, which was a pretty good deal. (laughs) So um, I've been, I have been in the farming world for a long time. Right, right. So you you grew up, and th- was there a moment yeah. where you di- thought you wouldn't be a farmer, and did you come back to it? Yeah, uh, we were talking about this yesterday. That my family is really great. They, inc- it's just my sister and I and my folks, uh, my mom and dad, and they really encourage us to um, explore life and just try to figure out who we are and enjoy and do what we enjoy. And so I actually studied. Uh, music and philosophy and religious studies in my undergrad. And um, that led to oh, an approach of later studying soil science and environment um, and kind of this, the practical nuts and bolts of what it takes to run a farm through that lens of um, seeing the world through like a liberal arts undergrad study in religious studies and philosophy. So I actually am sort of have, feel sometimes like I've had to um, learn faster about the nuts and bolts of farming, but it, seeing it through that lens has really uh, opened up new ways of thinking, which has allowed me to take our farm in new directions, um, especially thinking about regenerative organic practices, uh, the interrelationships of lots of different entities. Right. So I think yeah, it's been a really positive, positive thing that I had good parents, I guess. I'll say it that way. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And I, I definitely, we're definitely going to get into um, those, those practices that you're talking about, the kind of regenerative organic um, practices that you're using on your farm. Um, before we do that, so we kind of set this up where, you know, Nick, you're making hummus in DC and uh, Casey, you're in Montana farming chickpeas. I want to understand, um, the connection? Like, how did you first find each other? Um, Nick, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because I imagine as a restaurant, you had to ha- start as soon as you were like, I'm going to make hummus, you had to think, okay, well, where am I going to get these ingredients? Right? Like, how did you find Casey in particular? Well, I think like so many of these relationships, as we like build out our supply chain has been like so hard to uncover really good relationships. And Casey kind of just fell into my lap in that um, 
and my, Lee, my partner, did sort of all the hard work for me that one. So she was out in Montana working with Food Corps um, and working to like bring um, Montana beef to schools and sort of bring like big growers, um, help them find sort of institutional markets. Um, and so, you know, one of the partners along the way, you know, Casey's just sort of involved um, in all food systems work out in Montana. And so she sort of was introduced to Casey um, and she always sort of like heralded Casey's like this amazing grower. And then I remember seeing pictures of her like in the back of Casey's truck sort of jumping around in piles of dried chickpeas. And um, so it was it was really just through via friendship. Um, that was before we even thought of of Little Sesame and um, you know, dreamed of opening a hummus company. So, um, you know, when we started, it was a pretty easy decision. You know, we knew Casey was an amazing grower and was really values aligned with us. Um, and, uh, and so it began. So, yeah, I mean, I think the first shipment was like a five pound bag and, um, we were, you know, blending in like a small tabletop mixer and obviously we've grown since, but, um, it was lucky that as, as, as hard as it can be to find good relationships, this was an easy one. Yeah. So the first shipment was a five pound bag. What do the shipments look like now? How much are you um, buying each year? You know, the past couple of years have been a bit tumultuous. So it's been volatile, I'd I'd say. Um, But I think the last one was um, seven or 10,000 pounds. You know, they go back and forth. I don't don't remember exactly. Um, It's sort of what Casey has in the moment and what we can get processed in the moment and sort of... um, you know, I think there's a lot of flexibility with each other, which is what makes the relationship so valuable. You know, it's, you know, he had a tough year this year. And so, you know, we're basically strategizing about next year together. And I think that's sort of what makes, the, you know, these type of relationships with like, you know, producers and, um, you know, and, and farmers so valuable and that, you know, we have this transparency and this direct communication. So like, you know, we knew it was a tough year and now we can sort of build our sort of supply chain and really think about like how we source over the next 12 months together rather than, um, you know, be caught off guard or, or again, or, or put Casey in a position where he has, you know, too much product or not enough product going into the next year. Right. Right. Um, you said that, um, one of the reasons you wanted to work together is because you were, um, really aligned in your values. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, I think, Mostly, you know, at its core, it's about just sort of the way, you know, Casey farms, obviously, you know, I think, you know, this regenerative is is being thrown around a lot now, but, you know, at at its core, it's, um, you know, he'll explain it better than I, but um, it was, you know, the way he, he he sort of his philosophy of farming in terms of improving the land um, really aligned with us and sort of like where we wanted the end product to be. And then for us, it was, you know, we wanted to sort of like make this very direct connection. And that was sort of always a big part of like sort of the brand we were building here, which is like, you know, every bowl of hummus at Little Sesame or every pint of hummus you buy at the grocery store at Little Sesame is like a direct investment in Casey's farm. You know, it keeps us producing hummus, which keeps more acreage in regenerative farming. Um, but then there's more, obviously the value as we spent more time together, we went out there and cooked a dinner. And I think these values go deeper and that's about building community you know, it's about building big tables where, you know, people can share hard ideas um, and sort of break down silos of communication. And I think, you know, rural and urban and all these sort of hard spaces where we exist is like food is such a powerful tool to bring us together. And I think we both um, share that bond. And I think that sort of has been a sort of another connector as as the relationship has grown. Right. Got it. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about the practices. You both are kind of... Um, talking about, um, 
the the on farm um, practices and and how that is really a, at the the heart of um, why you're working together. So, um, first of all, Casey, I want to talk about like how you grow chickpeas, but first. Um, why grow chickpeas? Like, did you choose this crop for a particular reason? So, um, absolutely. Um, I think a nice way to answer that is, so our farm in this area in Montana, um, is known for wheat and barley. It's a prairie grassland ecosystem. And, um, Traditionally growing up, the only crop I saw in our fields was wheat and maybe sometimes barley. Um, what I discovered, um, you know, really college, post-college when I was coming back to the farm and what led me here was that there's a relationship between a uh, symbiotic relationship in a nitrogen-fixing plant like a chickpea or a lentil or a pea that... Um, a little organism in the soil uh, sends out, uh, calls out to this root of a of a legume plant, and they um, find companionship. And that companionship gives it the ability to fix uh, atmospheric nitrogen and put it in the soil. So all of those years of us spending lots of money and um, um, sweat and time to apply fertilizer to our soils to produce a wheat crop uh, just blew my mind that uh, this could be done for free and that Mm. um, there's actually a life form out there that would really enjoy doing that for us and for itself and for the plant. And um, so I think that's really the start um, is that the first few crops that I planted were uh, lentils and alfalfa, both nitrogen fixers. Um, Chickpeas came along a few years later, uh, were introduced as another option. Um, And within that comes a new market, the ability to diversify the farm that way, but also diversify what what is happening in our soil. Um, And any diversity I learned was a really positive thing. And chickpea in particular... Um, I, I was looking for a plant that could fill a window within the season that was a little later and chickpeas really like warm conditions. Um, so where we can plant a pea or a lentil really early in the spring, chickpeas allow us some time to, um, pause, let the soils warm up, let some different weed populations, um, sprout so we can terminate those and then plant the chickpea. And, you know, in a, the season, the climate varies so much, um, but Montana is known for extreme seasons that we have deep cold and then really, really hot. Um, but our nights stay cool here. So we're kind of set up for, uh, a heat, uh, extreme heat, quick growing moment and then it cools off so it gives the plant a little bit of rest and chickpeas like that chickpeas really like heat um, which was fascinating to watch some of these uh, days where it's just absolutely extreme and I would go and, and look at some of our crops and those chickpeas just seemed like they were thriving so and they also have a different root system um, in comparison to some of the other legumes that we were planting uh, so I think for those reasons uh, we I kind of jumped on chickpeas before there was even a market 
for it just to see what they would do. And um, from there, um, still learning how to grow them. They are uh, absolute artwork <laughs> to perfect. And I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but I'm going to keep keep swinging. So. <laughs> I mean, you're producing a lot, so you're doing something right. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned the root system being different, and um, I I did want to just ask you to kind of describe what a chickpea plant looks like because I think a lot of listeners probably have never seen one. Okay, so um, seeing an individual chickpea plant is sort of like a combination of like a bonsai bush and a fern. <laughs> if you, wow. if you, if you've seen, <laughs> if you have seen either of those combining those. And so seeing a full, a field full of these, um, sort of slender leaves, there's each, each, uh, leaf has, um, these little tiny slender leaves and they're kind of hairy <laughs> and, uh, the stem, lets them stand uh, maybe a little shy of two feet off the ground. So it looks like a whole bunch of little tiny fern-like bonsai trees over, you know, together out in a field. Um, So they're very unique. Wow. So you call your kind of farming regenerative. Um, I think all of us um, know that there's a lot of ways to um, apply that word, Uh, you know, people use it in to describe all kinds of different practices and systems now on farms. Um, can you ta- talk a little bit about what it means on your farm? Like what are you doing differently um, compared to maybe another farmer that that's growing chickpeas and isn't um, using regenerative practices? Yeah. Um, the regenerative movement is great. It um, is an umbrella for so many different things. Um one thing that we are on the chickpea side, a hundred percent is organic certified. Um, so what's kind of neat about that being organic means that the FDA, that there is a law and an inspection that happens that basically says you check the boxes of being regenerative and within the organic label, um, uh, you basically are required to be a regenerative farmer. Uh, what that means for us, in particular, is that our fertility is all um, fixed on the farm. For instance, the nitrogen, instead of bringing in a synthetic non-renewable. The difference between how I might farm a a chickpea um, and get it to nick versus a non-organic, non-regenerative practice, um, there are a few things, and I know farmers don't want to do these practices because they're not healthy. But um, one thing is that the termination of the chickpea before it's harvested, uh, chickpea is an indeterminate plant. So if there's moisture, it just keeps growing Um, and it stays green. And so to harvest that plant when it has some green material, it has that moisture with it. And so when it goes in your harvesting machine, that moisture can also cling to dirt particles. And so that can stain that chickpea, that bean. Um, So some of the ways to get around that is spray that with a chemical like a Paraquat or Roundup to um, desiccate it. And so once that takes place, it's much easier to harvest. The way we harvest that chickpea is that we swath it and put it into rows so it can dry down without chemical. And then we'll come back again in a second operation and pick that uh, chickpea back up 
Um, and then it, it really does a really good job. And I think, you know, chickpeas are new to our area. Um, so I'm curious if, you know, farmers will stick with those uh, desiccating practices or if um, they will kind of move toward a more organic regenerative approach just so they don't have to be around the chemicals. So. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here talking with Nick Wiseman from Little Sesame and Casey Bailey, farmer in Montana. So I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the relationship. Um, Nick, I, I'm wondering how unique is this relationship that you have with Casey compared to other um other relationships that you have formed with source, you know, with farmers or like, is this kind of, it seems like a very close relationship. And I'm curious if it's possible for you to do this with all the different kind of ingredients that you're using at Little Sesame. Totally. So, I mean, I think sourcing for restaurants is, is very different than sourcing for like the, the, the product business. And so, you know, now we sell in Whole Foods uh, in, across the, the mid-Atlantic region. Um, and so as we're like building out that supply chain, it's really different than the restaurants. Like the restaurants, you can source with one-off relationships. And, you know, as you know, you know, you're in the mid-Atlantic, like, you know, we, this region is really mostly focused on like diversified vegetable farms. There are some people growing grains and, and, and raising animals. Um, but like sort of the, the bulk of like regenerative growers in this region um, are, are sort of diversified vegetable farmers. So, yeah, I mean, we were able to establish those relationships one off with folks at, you know, in the restaurant space, but no one that's producing on the volume to really scale our CPG, our product business. So Casey's kind of unique. Casey's, you know, by virtue of being in Montana, there's so much land. Casey's on, you know, 5,000 acres and, you know, we're only a tiny portion of his, of his yield every year. Um, and again, you know, we're, our goal is, you know, as we grow, you know, we're going to try to be in 200 grocery stores by the end of this year, by 2022. And, you know, that would put us up to like, you know, 75,000 pounds of chickpeas a year. And so, you know, as we start thinking about that, that business, um, you know, we are trying to scale up supply chain and really like create those direct relationships. And we're doing the, you know, the diligence now and the hard work now to like establish how we can buy for the sort of the product business at that level of that scale, which we've just never done before. Um, there are some really cool companies out there now that are like helping facilitate these things, you know, who are helping us sort of navigate these conversations. There's one in base in DC, um, 
it's called Simply, and, and their whole vision is sort of creating transparency between sort of producers, sort of or, organic and regenerative producers and, um, you know, and, and product companies that are, are scaling. So creating these sort of as a basically as a brokerage. Um, so, you know, I think we're in that process now of, of, of building supply chain and, and creating those direct relationships again. Right. Yeah, of course, you know, I mean, the, the point about acreage is, is really important in this case, right? Because we don't, we don't really have 5,000 acre farms, um, on the East coast. Um, and actually I don't even, I mean, growing Casey, could, could you grow chickpeas, um, in our climate on the East coast? I'm not even sure. That's a really good question. Uh, I've, we've been talking about it. Um, I think what I have heard is that it's tricky just because of the, we're a dry, arid climate here and you get into too much humidity there. And so you start fighting with disease issues. Um, so I think that we are sort of set up for growing chickpeas here. Yeah. Well, and it, and sometimes I know that that can also make it harder to be organic. Like for instance, with like fruit, um, like orchards here, like it's, it's very difficult for growers to, if they want to do organic to, to do it here because of all the moisture, because the, um, it's like, you really, really need, um, the, the chemicals, um, in order to actually produce fruit that looks the way people want it. And so, you know, that's, that can be a really big challenge. Um, anyway, so, um, what about challenges? So, you know, we've been talking about this and, and, um, I feel like you guys are both like, this is so great. We have this great relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there anything that um, is harder to, and you know, like mo- most um, restaurants or hummus makers are just ordering their chickpeas from um, some sort of distributor and maybe they know where they came from. Maybe they don't. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you. Like, is there anything that's more difficult about um, doing it this way rather than kind of the typical way? Um, I mean, I'll jump in and then I'll let Casey come by. I mean, I think like, you know, we're <laughs> establishing like the rules of the relationship as we go. You know, I think when you have like one big player, they have their rules, right? This is how we do things and get on board or, or get out. And I think we've, we're trying to sort of, I think, grow in this together. And so which has given us flexibility, but again, always in that, in that space, there's, you know, there's a lot of figuring out to do. And, you know, I think that every, you know, all the different sort of facets of the relationship in terms of like timing and how clean they are and how we get the product delivered and, um, you know, how much we pay for it and all these things that we're trying to, you know, and again, both of us are still very much, you know, we're young in our business. Um, the businesses are young and we're young in our business life. And I think we're still learning a lot on our own. So certainly speaking for myself, there's like, been a lot of sort of growth in our personal business um, as we've since we've sort of started this relationship. So, you know, I think that is sort of those normal like growing pains we've experienced. But again, I think it's generally been very net positive because we've been transparent and open. And, you know, COVID came and, and, you know, one of the first calls I got was from Casey, which was like, you know, hold off on paying me. I know you just got a big shipment. I know things are going to be hard. Like you can take your time and, and make good on that invoice when you can. And you know, that's the type of flexibility these relationships provide that you just don't get when you're entering a relationship with one big player. And again, who's sort of set the rules of the road and you're, you either get on or get out. Right. Yeah. I'll Do you have anything? In. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think, yeah, I echo everything Nick said. Um, we, you know, this relationship has taught me 
uh, a lot more than I would have learned otherwise. Um, and Nick won't let, let loose of me. So I, I, <laughs> he won't let me uh, not learn these things. So, you know, you, most of my markets, so as, as we've gone organic or generative, um, that means that I am closer to the end, uh, consumer. Um, and that's what I've desired, uh, at the, from the from the get go, whereas um, most of our wheat was a uh, commodity that I we dump at say a Columbia grain and it probably went overseas. Uh, but now as we moved into organic, um, we've produced as many as sixteen different crops, and I can name at least the person who sells to the consumer uh, by name. Now with Nick. Um, he is the one serving that food to consumers. Um, he's the one using it and touching it with his hands. Like once I, once we had this, uh, it was a hard, hard harvest year. And so we had these little tiny stones that were in the chickpeas and I sent him these bags that had these little stones and they had to go through every bag and pick out stones. And I mean, no one will do that and remain my friend. So the fact that Nick (laughs) is still talking to me is just brilliant. Um, so the challenge is if I were to sell all of our crops to um, someone like Nick, that it would be almost impossible to also farm. We would have to uh, form a processing facility and um, have a staff and be calling and dealing with lots of consumers that might be more fickle than someone who is able to pick out all those rocks. But the cool thing about Nick and Little Sesame um, that is occurring over and over is that they believe or Nick in particular believes in something deeper than just making a profit off of these chickpeas or whatever, the, whatever the product might be. Um, we're building something different and we're learning as we go. Um, so it'll be fun to see where it goes and see what it means to be sustainable in this sort of a relationship. Right. Um, I just remembered this as you were talking about um, kind of the relationship between um, the farm and the restaurant and, and challenges. I just remembered, was this last year that there was a, um, situation where some of the chickpeas were lost? Is that, am I remembering that? (laughs) I I remember some sort of like funny ad that was like, we're looking for our chickpeas or. (laughs) Yes. The the chickpeas went mysteriously missing. I think for some reason we had to ship them through UPS and, um, it was a 5,000 pound shipment. And I'm not sure how you lose a 5,000 pound shipment, but somehow they, they went missing and, um, yeah, we put out, we put out wanted ads and, um, which, uh, which got us, which, you know, people responded to well, but the chickpeas were never found. And then, um, you know, UPS kind of gave up on them and then maybe three months later, um, just arrived at our door. So, uh, <laughs> oh driver, my gosh, they just showed up and they without, were, were they, they yeah, were still Okay. Still okay. So a driver just pulled <laughs> up and was like, I have a shipment for you. And, you know, expecting him to throw a small box out the back and, you know, there come the pallet of chickpeas. So um, <laughs> Wait, and was this a, was before COVID, right? You can't, can't blame COVID on this one. So yeah, this was pre-COVID. So it was like a, it seems like it was a sort of a model for what was to come with like disrupted exactly. shipping and supply chains. Like, exactly. Exactly. At the time, so. it felt so strange, and now you know if 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 a package of 
anything doesn't show up for months and then you get it kind of randomly. It's just par for the course. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, this, this has been such a great conversation. I think we, we, we talked about um, so many different aspects of um, your businesses and farming. And um, I guess, is there anything like you want to just leave listeners with in terms of um, when they're thinking about food and climate? I mean, I think both of you are are, are thinking about the food and, and climate and sustainability really deeply and doing work in this space. Um, maybe like something that you want to leave listeners with that you think people who are not really working in this space, but care, um, don't, don't know, or don't often get the opportunity to hear, like just kind of, um, something from your work that you would leave people with. Um, yeah, I guess I'm put on my motivational speaker hat here and say (laughs) that I know that everyone's lives are different and we all find ourselves in different situations, be it urban, rural, um, stressed in school or stressed finding a job, or maybe you're being highly successful and kind of in a state of boredom. I'm not sure everyone is in a different space these days. Um, and especially with the political divides and the tension that we experience every time we turn on social media, I think that what I've found too for myself is that if we can sort of turn things off and go outside and, um, start, you know, whatever question it is on our mind about life and about ourselves and our body. And um, just keep that in mind and get outside and find those open spaces where there is soil and there are plants and there are people that are enjoying those spaces and meet them and meet the space, meet the people um, and meet those ideas that are in your mind and try to answer those questions and do that every day um, and make a habit out of it and just get to know plants and get to know this crazy life that we are part of. Um, and I think it's an, it will be a joyful, never ending journey. And honestly, that is how I personally met, you know, Lee and Nick, little Sesame, and I've sort of kept jumping through those hoops, building this type of a community um, and meeting those type of people who are just in life to, um, find themselves and find those questions and just sort of find love. Um, and it's harder to do if you're not in that habit, but every day make a habit out of that. So there's my motivational speech. Um, <laughs> everyone should become a farmer and a good eater. <laughs> I love no, it. Um, Nick, yeah, I mean, that's hard to follow yeah. up. No way. Why, why follow up? He's, he kind of said it all, but no, I think for, <laughs> for, for us, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, we try to make this like connection really clear between like our food choices and and farming and climate. Um, you know, and I think we've said that for a long time about like hummus as sort of a climate positive food. You know, we want to make it like the everyday alternative protein. And it all feels a bit lofty sometimes and separated from like, you know, what, what really matters. But I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, when you see someone, you know, I was in Whole Foods this weekend, saw someone pick up the product off the shelf and buy it. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, that this, you know, the trickle down is that, you know, that person buying it and supporting the product, you know, enables us to keep producing it and enables us to keep investing in Casey's farm. And like those type of direct relationships are so important. So, you know, I think where, where, I, where I land in all that is like the way we buy food really matters and that, you know, people just need to understand this connection more. 
Um, and it can't be done in sort of always this sort of prophetic sort of teaching way. It just, I think more and more food companies need to learn how to do this in a way that gets people excited and makes them feel a part of it and ownership of it too. And sort of that's our, that's our vision and our goal is like, how do we make people feel really good about making these decisions um, so that we can support growers like Casey who are doing things the right way and are, you know, stewarding the planet. And we'll make sure that, you know, our, our next generation, our kids sort of, you know, inherit a planet that we're proud of. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. It's been great. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.